Good morning, Church. I have the privilege of doing the lesson today, and it is entitled, Jesus and the Poor. So, we're going to be, if we're going to be looking at Jesus, the most likely place that we're going to look at is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they give a, a contemporary view of the life of Jesus, um, his love, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, um, all shines true for all of mankind to see. Um, our Lord Jesus, he is perfect, perfectly God, and perfectly the Son of Man. Um, he relates to all, all of us more deeply than I think any one of us can um, even begin to understand. And whatever our station in life, even though we're focusing on, on Jesus and the poor, whether we are rich or poor, Jesus is appealing to us to look to him and to seek out his kingdom as we live our lives here on earth. So we can look at all the gospel accounts when we look at Jesus and the poor. Um, the account that I'm going to be looking at um, in entirety is the gospel of Luke. Um, the account of Jesus, this account of Jesus, was written by Luke the doctor, the traveling companion of the apostle Paul. Um, Luke's account is often commended as its, for its historically verifiable accuracy. But as you read it, you will recognize the special focus an empathy paid towards the poor and those in need. Um, the word poor is mentioned five times in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, um, four times in the Gospel of John, and 11 times in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so you can understand the evidence um, why I would look, think it appropriate to look specifically at Luke's account when examining a topic such as Jesus and the poor. So buckle up and get your Bibles ready as we zip through the book of Luke. So I have, I have three points today. Um, they are preach and teach, help and heal. That's the first point. The poor and the Pareto principle. And my third point, rich people beware, give to the poor. So my first point is taken from Luke 4, verse 18 to 19. And it reads... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, in Luke's Gospel, this is the first appearance that Jesus made after the temptation by the devil in the desert. Um, he was reading, um, this is a quotation from Isaiah, and he, it was a prophecy about himself. He pretty much lays out his mission emphatically to proclaim the gospel to the poor, but also to, to help those who are in need. Those people who are, um, who are in this present life, who are held captive by sickness, disease, incapacitated in some form or fashion. Why? Because he cares and he feels our pain. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus healing people, raising the dead, and in short, performing miracles that were undeniable to even the Pharisees of his day. When John the Baptist wanted to confirm that Jesus was the Messiah, he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, and this was his response. In Luke seven twenty-two, it says, So he, Jesus, replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So you follow, throughout these scriptures, you see a twofold element to Jesus' ministry, to preach and teach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the poor, but also to, to help and to heal, to help those who are sick, incapacitated, or suffering in some physically, mentally, emotionally, in some form or fashion. Jesus always um, worked both those elements into his ministry. I hope Michael is able to put up this picture. Um, and it's a picture of Dr. Mark Ottenweller um, in one of his, um, his missions in, in Africa. In 2010, I had the privilege of visiting the North River Church of Christ. They had come to Trinidad um, um, earlier in the year. And I went up there to, to see um, what, what, how, they, how they handled their, their singles ministry at the time. And the Sunday that I was there, Mark Ottenwell preached a message. And it was entitled, Preach and Teach, Help and Heal. And very passionately, he laid out um, his, his, his missionary work in Africa. And what they were doing in Haiti at the time, um, after the earthquakes that they suffered there. And uh, even in his own private practice, you know, how he would write scriptures for his patients. You know, just not only preaching the God, um, helping them and healing them physically, but making sure and spreading the gospel. If you look at um, his, his LinkedIn um, profile, it reads, Dr. Attenweller is a graduate of Louisiana State University, uh, board certified in internal medicine and a fellow of the American College of Physicians. He worked in private practice in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and Atlanta, Georgia until 1989 when he and his family moved to the Ivory Coast and established one of the first HIV-AIDS clinic in West Africa. In 1994, he and his family moved to South Africa, where he started the Soweto AIDS program. In 2000, he was appointed a director for Africa of Hope Worldwide, and he assisted with the, with the development of community AIDS program across Africa for Hope Worldwide. The Hope Worldwide team has assisted more than, than 172,000 orphans in 40 communities in eight countries across Africa, organizing scores of support and disease prevention programs and developing and sustaining clinic-based initiatives. Over the last three years, Hope Worldwide has developed a dynamic early childhood program, ECD, to assist zero to six-year-old children in Africa, and it has reached 20,000 little children in Southern Africa with ECD. Dr. Ottenweller also led Hope Worldwide's response to the Haiti earthquake and has helped to support thousands of earthquake victims through his work in providing medical care and rebuilding homes, schools, and orphanages for the people of Haiti. In 2007, he moved to the U.S. and was appointed the Global AIDS Coordinator for Hope Worldwide. He now works with donor, partner, and program development for its Health and Social Services Division in Africa. He has served with the South African National AIDS Council, the UN Economic Commission for Africa, and the OVC Task Force in Washington. He married Lynn Beatty. Lynn Beatty came to, to Trinidad in 2010. Um, she was single then. They got married in 2012, and they have six children from previous, well, both their spouses died from previous marriages, four of whom are married, and they have five grandchildren. I mean, what an incredible life um, of, of preaching and teaching the gospel and also helping and healing people as he went. We also are called to proclaim the gospel to the poor and to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, 
and to set the oppressed free. Are we following Jesus' example? Maybe we won't be able to go to the extent that Jesus went or Dr. Orton Weller, but surely there are persons who we interact with who need to hear the gospel and are crying out for relief in some way that we can meet a need. Let's preach and teach, but also help and heal. To God be the glory. My second point, the poor and the Pareto principle. Now I'm going to be doing two scriptures from Luke, um, Luke in Luke 8 and Luke 19 simultaneously. So I will read the passage um, in Luke 8, reading from verse 2 to 3 first and then verse 15 to 18. It says, After this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. If we skip down to verse 15, and it's a continuation of the, the parable of the sower, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be, be known or brought out into the open. Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. So pay special note to that last part. So we go quickly to verse chapter 19, verse 20 to 27, and it reads there. Then another servant came and said, this is the parable of the, of the minna and the servants who, who brought a return. This is the last servant. He says, sir, here is your minna. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his minna away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has to have, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That verse repeats again. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. In both passages, we have persons who we could be considered to be poor. The women in Luke 8 are described as having evil spirits and diseases. They were struggling right before Jesus came on the picture and healed them. Whereas the servant in Luke 19 had only one minna to work with. Um, very much like, and his colleagues had the same one minna as well. Their responses, however, is completely different. The woman, after being healed by Jesus, didn't idly sit by and wait to receive more miracles and blessings. In Luke 8, it says that these women supported Jesus and his disciples out of their own means, which suggests that they had a way of generating income. The servant with the one minna, however, um, unlike his colleagues who also received the one minna, his colleagues um, converted the one minna, one converted it to ten minas. 
The other one converted that one minute into five. Right? He wrapped his minute in a cloth and hid it and got no return. He chose to do nothing and to remain in the position that his master had placed him. Fear had gripped him and he did not follow his master's faith-filled example of taking out what he did not put in and reaping what he did not sow. He didn't allow that example to influence him, to be faithful, to be bold and courageous, to go outside there and make something happen by the grace of God. His master describes him as a wicked servant. The vast majority of people in this world will bury their spiritual gifting, their minna, their talents. This is a phrase that appears at the end of both these excerpts in Luke 8 and in Luke 19 that actually describes what will happen. In Luke 8 it says, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, the poor, in a sense you can think about it that way, or somebody who who just um, groveling in their poverty in a sense, even what they think they have, it will be taken from them. In Luke 19 it says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. You know, that is a, a perfect description of what is commonly known as the Pareto Principle. This is a this is a well-documented and observable principle in life. Um, people have, have studied this thing out and, and recognize that it just keeps happening. That 80% of your output results from 20% of your effort. It's most glaringly evident in income distribution. The top 20% earns 80% of the available income. No matter what you do in whatever system you have, whether it be a capitalist system, a communist system, or a hybrid of both, it just seems to always work out that way. Right? This redistribution will inevitably happen. In relation to the scriptures we shared, only the few will respond to Jesus' gospel and respond in faith. To reap where they to reap where they did not sow or gather where they did not scatter. To take risks and to seek out opportunities to develop their God-given talent and to apply it into their calling for the glory of God. But also to serve their fellow human beings, especially those who are poor and in need. Um, I don't know if you're able to see it, but I had a, a graphic with the income distribution in the United States as of 2003. What the graphic showed is that the wealth, about 62.9% of the, the wealth of the United States was shared amongst 10% of the population. So the Pareto Principle, pretty much everything is lumping to one end. And it always seems to tend towards that direction. Again, I'm not sure if you're seeing this image, but there's the story of um, of cricket in the 1970s and a guy by the name of Kerry Packer. Um, his family, his grandfather, um, found a, a, some coin at a, at a racetrack and he used that coin to ability to travel to Queensland and establish himself eventually. He be, I think he became a newsboy and then eventually he, he became an owner of a newspaper. And um, Kerry Packer, in, uh, um, after his father, inherited that business. And he became a, a media titan. And what he did, he decided to upset the whole apple cart as far as cricket was concerned. He saw that these guys were so super talented, but the system was so archaic that it wasn't really bringing to fore the beauty of the talent that was being um, displayed. So he formed something called World Series Cricket, which is what we see today in, in One Day Internationals. 
um, where they wear the colored uniforms. There's all these different innovations to make it exciting and, and to interest the public and stuff. And he had this media corporation that was able to broadcast it to a wider audience. And only that, he was able to pay these players far more than the national federations were able to pay them. Um, there was an article that said that um, test pirates or CTV tycoons bid could shatter world cricket. And I have another picture here with Michael Holding and um, Clive Lloyd and a couple other West Indian cricketers shaking um, Kerry Packer's hand because they were grateful that this man innovated and created an opportunity for them, not only to showcase their skills, but also to earn an income better than what they were earning um, even in the Caribbean. You know, so it is an example of somebody taking their talent, you know, gathering where they did not sow or, or, um, or, um, or reaping where they did not scatter. You know, finding ways to, 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 to use their talent to develop something. And I believe as Christians, we should be having that faithful mindset to be able to do that. To be able to, to, um, to, to fight against the Pareto principle, I guess in a sense, to generate income, to create, be creative and entrepreneurial and to, to be, have something to give, to give back to the poor, to encourage others with our dedication, our hard work, our faithfulness to the honor and glory of God. Do you recognize the gifts, the talents, or the minors God has placed within you? The scriptures say that God has given each believer a manifestation of his spirit for the common good. Are you bearing that manifestation of God's spirit? Are you content to have that mindset that has a form of godliness but denies its power? If that mindset is there, it will be at the expense of developing your God-given talent and applying it for the benefit and glory of his kingdom. Let's be like the women who supported Jesus out of their own means and not conform to stereotypes that hold us back from being our best for God. My final point, rich people beware, give to the poor. And again, we're going to juxtapose um, two passages of scripture, one in Luke 18 and again one in Luke 19. Um, we're going to be looking at two rich men and their responses to Jesus' calling on their life. In Luke 18, reading from verse 18 to 25, it says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God, alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So let's look at a second um, rich person in Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Here we see two responses of, of two rich men to the call that Jesus places on their and our lives. The rich young ruler seemed to have it all together. He was confident in his obedience to God's law and thought he was a shoo-in to enter into eternal life. But when Jesus called for him to part with his money, it was a bridge far too far to cross. He walked away from salvation. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, himself a wealthy man, without any prompting from Jesus, chose to give half of his wealth to the poor. On top of that, if he cheated anyone, he voluntarily offered to pay four times as much. Zacchaeus' response shows the heart that God is looking for from the rich. It's not wrong to be rich, but the heart should be to give back into the system that you are winning in. That Pareto system where 80% of the wealth resides with the 20% of the population. What is the point of hoarding wealth and their needs staring you straight in the face? What is the point of gaining the whole world and losing or forfeiting your very soul? As our example, we go to another passage of scripture in Luke 16, 19-31. Here we see the consequence of being rich and not caring for the poor. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us, he answered. And I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus doesn't identify this story as a parable and in fact names Lazarus and Abraham, giving it a feel like it's an actual occurrence that he is retelling. The rich man, the passage says, lived in luxury every day while Lazarus longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. It makes you feel like the rich man paid little to no attention to the poor around him and to Lazarus in particular. The scene shifts to Hades, a place of waiting for the final judgment. And the realities are now reversed, except that the rich man is tormented by heat and thirst 
and Lazarus is comforted. This precursor to the final judgment brings to life an often forgotten reality, the reality of hell. This hell is a direct result of neglecting the poor. The reality is that almost all of us, from a global perspective, are rich. Most people born in Western societies have access to things that billions, billions of people do not. Good shelter, regular meals, running water, electricity. And yet many times we consider ourselves afflicted and can complain unendingly and not see the real poverty and suffering around us. Very much like the rich man in this passage, the reality of the outcome for this rich man should serve as a warning to us and compel us to open our eyes to the genuinely poor around us and to actually do something about it. We have a lot of people in Trinidad who are struggling. You could take a drive, you could take a walk in on Frederick Street or take a drive through different um, locales in Trinidad. Um, the migrant population who are struggling to make ends meet, um, to find a way for their families. There are, there are opportunities to give. We need to open our eyes, take the scales of our eyes to see and to give. Let um, the story of Lazarus and the rich man be a warning to us. In conclusion, Jesus' teachings in Luke regarding the poor show a clear heart by Jesus for the poor that we should all pay attention to. All disciples should combine the ministries of teaching and uh, preaching and teaching the gospel with helping and healing in real and tangible ways. They go; they both go uh, hand in hand. We should also pursue making the most of our talents so that we can have something to contribute towards the poor. And finally, we should not be caught up in the pursuit of this world and possibly losing our salvation because we are negligent or we are willfully blind to meet the obvious needs of the poor around us. I hope this lesson was able to give you a perspective of Jesus and the poor. That is our message for today. Let's go before God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, thank you, God, for, for blessing us with another day of life, a day to worship you. Um, thank you for Jesus and his, his constant um, words of like, and examples of of how we should operate and think and behave in this world. Help us, God, to be guided by your Spirit, to be concerned about the poor and the needy around us, for us to be able to share the gospel along with that, for us to be able to, to use our talents, develop our talents, God, and be bold and courageous to reap where we did not sow, to gather where we did not scatter. Help us also, God, not to be willfully blind or, or to be um, negligent or, or for those who are in need and around us, whether within the body or outside of the body, God. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.